All of us are dead in trespasses and sins until an almighty, merciful, gracious God comes along and speaks life into your soul, which is what Christ began to do with this man, Nicodemus. We've spent our time in John chapter 3 and the first eight verses here in the past few programs. Today we're going to move forward a bit. John chapter 3, verses 9 through 16. Christ crucified the King of glory. Now, we saw what it means to be born again and why this is necessary. Today, we begin our look at who it is that works out the details for us that we might be born again. Christ crucified the King of glory. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. You will turn back in your Bibles to John's Gospel, Chapter 3. John's Gospel, Chapter 3, and you can follow me in your outline. We are in the second observation of our Lord's discourse to one Nicodemus. And last week I made it known to you that John chapter 3 has a main subject to it. Do you guys remember what that was? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what our master taught, proclaimed, and declared had come into the world. Not only when he had come, but when John the Baptist had came. John came declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Lord Jesus Christ, taking up where John was beheaded, said the same thing, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we looked at length around the implications of God's kingdom being in our world. Now, you and I may have heard about the kingdom in terms of propositional truth, relative to God doing something, maybe God saving people, maybe God manifesting his power in the world. But until the kingdom of God has made its home in your heart, as Nicodemus found out, we are still outside of the kingdom of God. And as it was a rude awakening for a man who came to Jesus with the assumption that him and Jesus were colleagues, He came to discover that he had no right to say, we know. And our Lord began there to explain to us what we see in John 3 are three categories of very critical insights around probably one of the most famous chapters in the New Testament. Would you agree? John 3.16 certainly is one of the most famous verses, the most popular verses used anywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as I told you last week, it is the most common verse and the most commonly misunderstood verse in all the Bible. The one thing you never want to do is take a Bible verse up out of its context and make it say what you want to say totally disregarding the context from which it came. What our Lord was doing with John 3.16 was simply showing Nicodemus 
the door into the kingdom of God. A door which Christ had prepared Nicodemus for, but you and I can only appreciate that when we walk with Christ and walk with Nicodemus from verse 1 to verse 16. And I share it with you that John is broken up, John 3 is broken up into three categories. Separation from God, verses 1 through 8. Satisfaction by God, verses 9 through 16. And then ultimately, salvation through God, verses 17 through 36. Today we will be dealing with the second concept or theological implication that is clearly laid out, the satisfaction of God. But before we do, I want to recap by way of your first point in your outline what Christ was doing when Nicodemus came to him. He was laying out before Nicodemus the reality that men are separated from God because of our fallenness. Now, again, today, sin is not preached or proclaimed for what it really is. People will talk about the manifestations of sin. We will get on people about sinful behavior. But what Christ is talking about is the root of sin in our nature. So we can talk about how you need to stop cussing and fussing and, and whoremongering and this, that, and the other thing. But if you don't deal with the root, you really haven't dealt with the problem. And you'll find that the gospel does not really get into the superficial details of a man's life, for that would be altogether like we learned last week, dressing up a carcass and putting a tape recorder in the back of the head of the carcass and cutting it on and expecting it to speak. For all of us are dead in trespasses and sins until an almighty Merciful, gracious God comes along and speaks life into your soul, which is what Christ began to do with this man, Nicodemus. He spoke of what we call the new birth. A radical birth is needed when you're outside of the kingdom. In other words, in reality, all men and women who will ever affirm that they are part of the kingdom of God will affirm this. They did not come into the kingdom by their own strength. They didn't earn their way in. They didn't buy their way in. They didn't woo their way in. They didn't connive their way in. They didn't manipulate their way in. Are you ready? You have to be born into the kingdom of God. And this is what we learned last week. The kingdom is a citizenry, citizenry where God is reigning as sovereign Lord, and all the citizens of God's kingdom are kingdom-born people. The question then lies before you and I. Have we been born again? And we'll just simply deal with the three critical points that underscored that. If you really want the message, go back to last week's message. Would you guys not agree? You will learn about what it means to really, thoroughly, and truly be born again. But when Christ used the term genete and atonem, he was speaking of a birth that, first of all, according to point A, we must be born again by a what? Second kind of birth. This is what mitigated Nicodemus' notion that, as he said in verse 4, what, can I go into my mother's womb and, 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 and be born all over again? No, no, no. Christ said, you got to have a second kind of birth. You can't reiterate the old birth. That's like just going from one bad religion to another bad religion. You know how folks do that? 
They say, I have taken up a new leap on life. And, and they, they stopped for a while all of those external code of habits, and they picked up a bunch worse in the new religion they got involved in. Like Christ spoke about the man in whom was filled a demon, and the demon was cast out, but because the house was not filled with the glory of God, seven other worse than him came back and occupied that house. And the latter end was worse than the beginning. This is often the case with people who reform or change their life or take up a new leaf. They put on the fa- facade of being righteous, but really inside, as Christ said, you are dead men's bones. You are ravening wolves. You are graves over which men walk and no one can tell. You are dead and you are stinking and you are worse than before because at least before you were letting everybody know what you were. Now you're trying to deceive men and women to say you're something that you're not. We call that religion. I've been there and you've been there. Now the gospel is a whole nother concept altogether. It's about God doing something for you that you cannot, you cannot, you cannot do for yourself. When you learn what the new birth is about, you discover that Christ used that metaphor of being born again to help us understand our helplessness in that process. In the same way that you had nothing to do with your first birth, You have nothing to do with your new birth. And that religion would take it on their shoulders to make a formula by which men would be born again. Repeat after me or say after me. If you quote these words, hallelujah, you're in the kingdom of God, you're born again. Nothing could be more absurd. Nothing. Nicodemus knew that. And when Christ had laid out before him, That which is of flesh is flesh, and that which is of spirit is spirit, and you can't mix the two. Your work plus Christ's work, what? It won't ever work. It won't ever work. The two never cross over. The spheres are totally different. The quality is different. And when a man or woman is really born again and comprehended, they give all the glory to God for making them a new creature in Christ. They don't ever say, I made myself born again. Now, if I took the time to work the grammar, it is very clear. Christ said, you must be. It is a passive verb form that means you are not doing the action. It did not say you must make yourself born again. It said you must be born again. A passive verb form, which means you as a subject have to have a power working on you to do something for you you can't do for yourself. Y'all follow me? That means you and I, by nature, are helpless in that work. Then what does a man do? A man but cries out to God to save him and wait for God to do it. Subpoint A makes it clear we must be born again, 1 Peter 2, 2, saying we have been born of the word of God and therefore we desire the sincere milk of the word that we might what? One of the evidence that you've been born again is that you hunger and thirst for God's Word. You are not born again if you can take or leave God's Word. Point number two, going back to point number two, let's quickly move on because we must work through our text. Point number two in our outline is very clear. Not only must we be born again, but what? We must also, sorry, sub point B, going back to point number one, please. 
we must also be born what? Anew. Now, when Christ uses that term, it's inherent in our Greek word. It means we must be born of a qualitative nature different than our first birth. There are parallels between our first birth, but there are no identical connections. In other words, when you're born again, you are born anew. And that new birth is spiritual in nature. It is not physical. This is why we have John chapter 1, verse 12. If you guys remember John 1, 12, it's clear. And as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Do you see that? Now notice how he says in John 1, 12, what the categories are. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name. Verse 13, here it is. Watch it. Watch verse 13. Which were what? That's our word, not of what? That means you don't get into the kingdom of God by being a blood descendant of Abraham. Watch it now. Nor of the will of the flesh. That means your decision for Jesus doesn't save you. Got it? Did you get it? Nor of the will of the flesh. Watch this. Nor of the will of man. That means another human being can't make you a spiritual creature. Inherent in verse 12 is the deity of the Son of God. Because only the Son of God can make you a son of God. Because the Son of God himself is God. And when God begets after his own kind, it's a testament that God was the one who did it. Y'all got that? So when you're born again, you're born a second time. When you're born again, you're born anew, qualitatively different than your physical birth. There is no corresponding connection between your physical birth and spiritual birth in terms of identity. They are completely categorically and qualitatively different. Third point, we must be born from where? Above. Heaven must open up and God must send his spirit and change your life all together for you and I to be citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, if it's true, you got to be born a second time, and you got to be born anew, qualitatively different, and you must be born from above, from above, from above. Whose work is that? Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 13 will affirm why Christ used, Christ used the metaphor of water and of the word. You guys remember Isaiah 55, verse 10? I could quote it, but I want you to, Isaiah 55, 10, please. I can quote it, but I want you guys to hear it for yourself as well. For as the rain cometh down, where does rain come from? The heavens. As the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and it returneth not thither, but watereth the what? The watering of the earth is the metaphor of the Spirit of God like water hitting the parched ground of our souls. We are dead without water. Water is the symbol of life, and that's why the Holy Ghost is typified by what? Water. We need the refreshing, life-giving water of God's Spirit working in our hearts. But what did we learn last week? The Spirit works through what? The Word of God. Here it is. But water the earth and make it to bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and what? Bread to the eater. Verse 11. Here it is. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall what? Accomplish that which I please and shall prosper in the thing where I what? The word of God ultimately is a person. What is his name? Jesus. 
the word made flesh and dwelt among us. This day that you and I are looking at in John 3 is a day where Nicodemus will be born again because he's in the presence of this very word that shall not return void. And so we're looking at our first point, and we come to conclude and agree with Christ according to John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the what? Water, the word of God, and of the what? Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And we closed last week's message with verse 8, did we not? The wind bloweth where it what? Wheels. You hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell from whence it cometh and whether it goeth. And didn't you notice he, he says, that is parallel to those who are truly born again. So are all they that are born of the Spirit. And how did I close? I said, in the same way that you have no control over the Spirit of God, it blows where it wills, so God saves when he wants to. You can't make God save a person. When or where or how. That is a sovereign act of God. He does it when he wants to. That's sovereign. And when the wind blows in the chaotic way in which it does, it shows us that you and I are out of the sphere of the intellectual capacity to comprehend what happens. In the same way that you can't tell the circuit of the wind. You can't make it go hither and yon. It does what it wants when it wants according to God. Is that right? When men and women are truly born again. Hear me now. The only people that can really know a born again person is a born-again person because the kingdom of God is a mystery. And the mysteries of the kingdom only belong to those who are in the kingdom. This, by the way, is why your kinfolk go crazy when you actually get saved. (laughs) First of all, they realize that it was out of their hand, that they can't control you. Secondly, they can't comprehend you. Because your value system has radically changed. Your worldview has radically changed. Your convictions have radically changed. And over time, they impact your character. Now you are facing what we all face. You change. Hallelujah. Watch this. I don't like the person you have become. Sorry, but it's an evidence that you don't know the grace of God as well. See, every time God saves a person in genuine, the whole world shakes because Satan's kingdom has been plundered and a soul has been snatched out of his kingdom and made to be publicly a child of the living God. And it threatens the whole dark kingdom. Whenever God God breaks the bars of hell and takes a hell-bound sinner out, washes him up, cleans him out, gives him a new nature, and then tells him to go tell it. Go tell it. Shaking up the world by the new birth. Shaking up the world by the new birth. And what you and I are talking about has nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with the work of righteousness that God does for you and me in the person of Christ. I want to call your attention to a radical transition now. 
We have just been dealing with the problem of separation from the kingdom and the cause of entrance. The powerful cause of entrance has been the Spirit of God. You only get in the kingdom by the cause of the power of the Spirit. Y'all got that. What Christ is about to do now is going to be extremely insightful in relationship to Nicodemus, and it will help some of you. Christ knows where Nicodemus is. He knows where Nicodemus' confidence is. And this might be of encouragement. When you come to Christ, you really do come with a lot of baggage. You come with a lot of mess. In fact, you don't even really know how much mess you come with. Right. And Nicodemus came with a mess, and Christ's teaching is actually addressing his mess. Here's the biggest aspect of the mess that Nicodemus came with. He thought he knew something about God, and he didn't know a thing about God. He's becoming keenly aware of that fact. And what Christ does, who is the quintessential rabbi, quintessential master, is about to now shake Nicodemus completely out of his confidence. He's already troubled Nicodemus about entrance into the kingdom. And now he's about to shake Nicodemus out of his false confidence. And I'm going to show you what that is here in a moment. Are you ready? Will you look with me then at point number two? Are you there? We are from another school. Now let me show you what that means. It's given to us in chapter 3, verse 9, actually uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Are you there? Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know, and we testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. Do you see it? Now, why does Christ make that commentary? Why does he give that statement? And I am sure most of you are completely fluxed by it even right now. How many of you admit that when you read that you went, who is the we? But I'm going to help you understand the connection between Christ, the teacher, and Nicodemus, the tutored. Christ, the master, and Nicodemus now, the humbled student. See, when he came initially, he was the skeptical scholar. Talking about, well, how can you be born again unless you enter into your mama's womb? Arrogant. Arrogant. For when you're a scholar, you don't talk like that. But all Nicodemus was proving is that Christ was way above his pay grade. Then when Christ explained to him the radical necessity of God being the one to bring him in the kingdom, the Spirit of God has begun to show Nicodemus his liability. So Nicodemus now goes from being the skeptical scholar, are you ready, to the student of Christ. Notice what he says over in verse 8. Notice what it says in verse 8 as we make our way to verse, I'm sorry, verse 9 as we make our way to verse 11. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, what? How can these things be? Ah, oh, a change in tone. Now Christ already knew it because he's the greatest teacher in the world. And when he's going to have you, he's going to have you. And he'll start way out there with your foolishness. But before it's over with, you're going to be sitting at his feet and going, how can these things be? So we have gone from the skeptical scholar to the submissive student. And I'm here to tell you, when you humble yourself before the Lord, he will exalt you in due season. 
studying God's Word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless.